Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. But they are accusing Democrats of saying we spend too much. For anyone that wants to entertain that thought, I ask you to think about the last time a person said, has said in this country that the government does too much for them, that their social security check was too high, that teachers are paid too much. When was the last time anyone has heard or seen that? Holy freaking pinko. That's, you know what? I'm going to say something I rarely say. Stop the music. Holy crap. Can we all just take a minute to engage the radical insanity of Representative Ocasio-Cortez's failed understanding of America? When is the last time the government does, anybody said that the government does too much for them? But they are accusing Democrats of saying we spend too much. For anyone that wants to entertain that thought, I ask you to think about the last time a person said, has said in this country that the government does too much for them, that their social security check was too high, that teachers are paid too much. When was the last time anyone has heard or seen that? Guys, I wasn't planning on doing this. I was going to talk some debt limit and what's going on in the latest. But this is just too great. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. This is just too great. The fool, the useful idiot known as Representative Ocasio-Cortez. <laughs> okay, Pookie. Now, I don't like name calling. I'm actually rather bad at it. But I'm utilizing the term useful idiot in its, in its um, real historical concept of those people who not only support communism, but actively advocate for it. She's advocating for a government that does more for you. And when is the last time anybody said the country does too much for them? No, no, no. It does too much to them. Because in order to do four, as she is discussing, it must do two somewhere else. Why is she okay with doing to some people and doing for others? Why does Representative Ocasio-Cortez think it is in her purview, in the purview of government, of, by, and for the people to pick winners and losers? Some people get a little, some people give a little. You know what that is said in a different way, from each according to their measure, to each according to their need. It's Karl Marx. So when I call her a communist, daddy here has got it all covered, kids. You don't like that I call her a pinko? Settle down, kitten. It ain't my fault that I'm pretty good at noticing things. When's the last time a person has said in this country that the government does too much for them, that their social security check was too high, that teachers are paid too much? Oh, 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 you want to take a walk with me? Representative Ocasio-Cortez, you want to take a walk with me? We'll grab some snacks. It'll be fun. I'll find you people in about seven minutes who will tell you teachers are paid too much. I didn't say uh, that they were right. I'm just saying what is. 
Oh, but if you talk to the parents who have had to deal with the teachers who believe uh, that they should be able to talk about sex uh, with, with students and should be able to hide things from parents, oh, those pe- teachers are paid too much, and I've got millions of those people who would be more than happy to bend your ear. The problem with this statement, the radicalness of this statement, is that it goes along something said by President Biden. Not, sorry, I meant President Obama, but it's so hard to tell the two apart. Policy-wise, why? What were you thinking? President Obama once talked about the problem with the Constitution is that it is um, it is this gathering, this grouping of negative charters. The problem with the Constitution is that it is negative. It talks about what the government cannot do to you as opposed to what the government must do for you. You know, if, if, if you look at um, the, the, the victories and failures of the civil rights movement um, and its litigation strategy in the court, I think where it succeeded was to vest formal rights uh, in uh, previously dispossessed peoples so that uh, I would now have the right to vote I would now be able to sit at a lunch counter and, and order, and as long as I could pay for it, I'd be okay. Uh, but the Supreme Court never ventured into the issues of redistribution of wealth uh, and sort of more basic issues of political and, and, and uh, economic justice in the society. And uh, to that extent, as radical as I think people tried to characterize the Warren Court, uh, it wasn't that radical. It, it didn't break free from the essential constraints that were placed uh, uh, by the Founding Fathers in the Constitution, at least as it's been interpreted, and Warren Court interpreted it in the same way, that, that generally the Constitution is a charter of negative liberties, says what the states can't do to you, says what the federal government can't do to you, but it doesn't say what the federal government or the state government must do on your behalf. I remember hearing that and saying, my God, I want this guy nowhere near the White House, nowhere near anything having to do with leadership. This is a guy who cannot lead. The government not doing to you is the everything. The government doing for you is the beginning of the end. When the government cannot do to you, you can choose to do for yourself. When the government decides it must do for you, there are things it has to do for you, it will never stop doing for you. And in order to do for you, it must de facto, as we have already discussed, take from somebody else. If government is going to pay teachers more, it must de facto take more money from someone else. Well, Tony, it doesn't have to. You can spend less money on on, on military spending. Okay. Let's see how that works out. We will have the highest paid teachers in the gulag. Good on us. Can I get a little? Really? Nothing? Nothing, Kylie? A little bit of applause? Not for that? 
Good, good gulag reference. Uh, I'm sorry, it's the Chinese. Sorry. They will be the highest paid teachers in the re education camp. It'll be the teachers and the Uyghur Muslims. They'll be looking at each other like, you too? Huh? Who knew? The idea that government should do more for you. This goes along with Ronald Reagan. What are the, what are those? Is it the fourteen words? I haven't counted the words. You know the um uh the uh, what's the the most dangerous words? Uh, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. What are the most dangerous words? Uh, it, it said in Washington, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. I think it was something like that. People are best when they are able to help themselves. Not when Representative Ocasio-Cortez is deciding what the help should be. Because when she decides what the help should be, she decides your future. And as we have seen from the political left's idea of help over the last 40 years, it kind of sucks. It hasn't provided a value. It never, ever provided a value. This statement from Representative Ocasio-Cortez is one that should get more play. It should get coverage. It is exactly the type of childlike statement that we have been discussing on this show for years. I don't have any idea if Representative Ocasio-Cortez is a, a good friend. How would I know? I've never met her. I have no idea if she's a good daughter, if she's a good fiance. How, how would I know? I don't ever ask that question. Go live your life. Be happy. But as a member of Congress, she is a child in her policies and in her presentation. As a thinker, she is a child in her policies and her presentation. This has not changed from her first days. Do you remember you you would have um oh she this was before she was a before she was elected, she was candidate Ocasio Cortez. And she was talking about Israel. And uh, when pressed a little bit, she kind of giggles and says, well, I'm, not, I'm not really an expert. <laughs> Do you, am I the only person who remembers this? Crazy town. She could not answer the 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 question. What, wait, was this it right here? But uh, I am, of course, the the dynamic there in terms of geopolitics of and the course. war in the Middle East is very different than mm. people expressing their First Amendment right to protest. Well, yes, but I also think that. Uh, what people are starting to see, at least in, in the occupation uh, of, of Palestine, is um, just an, an increasing crisis of humanitarian condition. And that, to me, is just 
where I tend to mm -hmm. come from on this issue. You use the term the occupation of Palestine. Mm. What did oh. you mean by that? Oh, um, I think it, what I meant is like the, the settlements that are increasing in, in some of these areas and, and places where, um, where Palestinians are experiencing uh, difficulty in access to uh, their housing and homes. Do you think you can expand on that? Yeah, I mean, I think I'd also just, I, I am not the expert on geopolitics on this issue. You <laughs> Isn't she delightful? They elected her twice. Wait, three times? Twice. Twice, right? Wait, has it been, has it been six years? God, it, it feels like six years. No, wait, it feels like 600. It feels like 600, right? 600 years, that's what it, that's, that's what it feels like. Good gosh. When I say childlike, when I say childlike, that's exactly what I'm referring to. I bring the receipts. This is who she is. But you understand that what she's actually advocating for, regardless of the childlike nature in which she does it, is remarkably dangerous and what it is we have to guard against. Will they agree to a debt limit? I have absolutely no idea. Corinne Jean-Pierre is speaking about it right now. I'll bring that to you next. I'm Tony Katz. Uh, we see their conversation as being productive. I can let you know, and I know some of you may already know this, they met virtually, the negotiators on both sides met, met virtually at 1130 uh, this morning, and we see this as a productive uh, conversation and uh, it's moving forward in in hopefully in the path where we would see a bipartisan reasonable budget negotiation um, let us hope for a bipartisan reasonable budget negotiation wouldn't that be dreamy that's corinne jean pierre actually doing the briefing right now uh i must tell you that i again am not getting worked up about this i don't get the reason or the rationale to get worked up at all. We heard Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis, state with clarity that we have money coming into the federal coffers every single day. We just don't have the ability to raise the limit on the credit card. And here was Kevin McCarthy, Speaker of the House, this morning on Fox News. So we continue to work to find solutions, and whatever date they give us, we've already have a bill. It's sitting in the Senate. That's why I'm not okay. fear, so fearful you, of a default. You would, but there's also money coming in every single day. Uh, but I will take whatever date they give me, and I will work towards it. There is money coming in every single day. Now, you take that position, and you couple that with a position from Matt Gates and Byron Donalds and others where they're like, prove to us June 1st the money runs out. Because that's what Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, has been saying. Prove to us it runs out on June 1st. Absolutely not. There's not some trigger that all of a sudden happens at one moment in time. Everybody's relying on Janet Yellen to tell us this magical day. Um, show us. Show us the math. I no longer trust, like, the Obi-Wan Kenobi of wrong answers on the economy to be able to tell me when the default occurs. That is a group of people who don't seem worried. And there is, within, uh, I think one of those people is Congressman Jeffries, but I for, not, not Hakeem Jeffries. I forget where he's from. Then it was Byron Donalds of Florida, and then Matt Gates of, of Florida. 
there is a touch of them uh, in them of of swagger on this. Like, look, this the the, the days of of caving is is over. And I think that one of the reasons you're seeing McCarthy be like, yeah, yeah, no, no, the, you you got to make a deal, is because his political future is on the line, and that all of that horse trading and negotiation to get him the speaker position, 15 freaking votes. I think you're seeing the result of that right now. In a Kevin McCarthy that's willing to say uh, no. No, 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 no. As he said even earlier today, he believes there's time. You said this week we need to have a deal this week in order to yes. avoid default. I still, still believe, I still believe that, yeah. And, and I, st- I still believe we have time to make an agreement and get it done. Are you confident? Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker. You- I, I, look, I'm confident at the end of the day that uh, if you watched anything about my life, I never give up at anything. So we will get a deal when we have one worthy of the American public. You Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, you, you- oh, I'm glad you don't give up on anything in your entire life. I don't know what. I don't know if you have to play tough guy with it. But I think there's time, too. And certainly, let's say there wasn't. Let's say it was now or never. All right. But we go back to Representative Ocasio-Cortez. I don't mean to bring her up twice in, 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 in one show. I mean, you know, anytime you're mentioning Representative Ocasio-Cortez, you must uh, go into her deep, deep in her thoughts. Deep down, deep down. Uh, She has a very, very unique theory. Incredible and and forceful arguments. I want to reiterate one point. The reason why anyone is asking anyone on this stage about what we would vote for is because Kevin McCarthy needs our votes. Because Kevin McCarthy doesn't have the votes. Because Kevin McCarthy is going to the White House without a majority of his caucus. He does not have the, what is necessary to negotiate. And for any, any question about what anybody would settle for, he has responsibility to concede. Is that right? He has a responsibility. The guy who is in charge of the House, the guy who is the Speaker, the party that has the majority, they have to concede? And what is this talk about not having the votes? <laughs> You don't have the votes. You don't have the votes. <laughs> You're gonna need congressional approval and you don't have the votes. This already got passed. Why isn't the pressure on Chuck Schumer to do something in the Senate? How come there has been no pressure on Chuck Schumer? The House passed legislation, forced Chuck Schumer to bring it to a vote. Yeah, so just so uh, we're clear, we're, 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 we're nowhere on this. And that's fine. It's totally, totally fine. Just, I mean, relax. Remain calm. All is well. It will work out or it won't. And none of it is anything you can do anything about. And people like Representative Ocasio-Cortez wanting to get you worked up? Nah. Not worth it. Not worth it. Don't do it. Just a, just a bit of friendly advice. 
You know, people talked about the poor rollout of Ron DeSantis' campaign. They didn't talk about the policy. And can we also discuss the fact that they're not talking about Ron DeSantis? It's weird. I'll share that with you soon. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. Only God can judge me now. One shot. Everything rides on two. Let's talk a little Indy 500, shall we? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Kirk Darling joins us from the 93.1 FM WIBC Newsroom. And while so much of the storyline has been taken up by the uh, crash with Catherine Legg and Stefan Wilson, Wilson being out of the race, Graham Rahal switching teams to take over for Wilson in that car for Dreyer Reimbold, we forget the fact that this is a ridiculously fast field. If you take a look at Alex Pillow and Venus VK and Santino Ferrucci, they all had a four-lap average of 234 miles an hour. The top nine puts you at um, 233. And then there's, of course, Tony Kanaan's last dance. But he's in a position to win this thing, which makes you wonder if he won it. Is that the way you go out? You go out on top? You do the full Costanza? Or do you come back one more time? And are we going to forget the fact that Elio Castroneves is right now engaged in the drive for five? Uh, Kurt, as you look at this, outside of the Graham Rahal-Stephen Wilson conversation, what is the big storyline to you? Well, obviously the speed being the fact that, you know, they're really, they're just the speed has been astronomically fast um the fastest that we've seen it literally in the last two or three decades or so of course you know are you go all the way back to 1996 when ari leyendyke laid down that 236 986 mile an hour qualifying run of course he ended up starting 20th that year but still alex pillow getting that speed at 234.217 miles an hour is certainly something to watch out for he is a huge contender to win this year in the indianapolis 500 but you know you went through that top those top uh, nine, Tony, all of these guys here and basically in the top 15, maybe even the top 17 drivers all have a legitimate chance to win this race. It all depends on how strategy is going to play out. But of course, Ganassi is fast as always. But Aero McLaren, they are really good this year. They had all four of their drivers in the Fast 12 for qualifying. They're all in good positions to win this race. And one of those drivers, as you mentioned, Tony Kanaan, going for that final run, as he says, for the Indianapolis 500. So there is a lot to unpack here for this race this year, Tony. You take a look at the weather as we've spoken about about it and you realize that you're like 80 degrees 81 degrees there is not a bit of rain in sight there's no moisture in sight we're talking about dry conditions what it says to me is if we if we take a look at the records for passing in an indy 500 we'll get ready to pass that everything about this says the track is just the right amount of heat to get the right amount of grip but not too hot to necessarily start overheating engines and causing things to go slower not cause so much fatigue in the driver themselves Hot damn, there's going to be some movement. There is, and the good thing that they're, well, the good reason why they're starting, this is good why they're starting it, you know, earlier in the afternoon at 12.45, the slated start time for the Indianapolis 500. But also, that puts the race getting done before peak track heating conditions. Now, when you're when you're out at practice or when you're watching qualifying, you know, they always talk about the track temperature really getting hot right around that 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock mark before the shadows start going out over 
over the track to cool things down. You're looking at track temperatures north of 120 degrees there, and that causes some slick track conditions. So now it's still going to be hot track conditions, but the fact that there's going to be no humidity is really going to play into it. But also as uh, on the passing storyline, Tony, IndyCar has a new Super Speedway Aero package this year that you know that they tested out at Texas, and it was a phenomenal race at Texas earlier this year. There was lots of passing. However, talking to Pato Award uh, last week, he was talking about when they were running in traffic, he said that, you know, yeah, it may be a little racier, but he would like to see it a little bit more racy. So it's going to, it's, we're really going to see how the passing is going to play out. They've been running in traffic so far. They're going to do it again tomorrow, but still it, it, it'll be, it'll be pretty entertaining. I think as far as passing is concerned for this race. Talking to Kurt Darling from the WIBC newsroom, 93.1 FM WIBC. In that 20th position is Ilio Castroneves. In that 22nd position is Simon Pagano. Pagano has won this race. He won this race, and then no one heard from him again. It's like he went outrageously quick, quiet. If not from, I mean, he's still racing, but from from the media world, he gets forgotten about. It's very, very strange to me. Castroneves is heading for five. If you go down this list, and I'm talking about from number one, to I think number 20, 25 or uh, 26, because Augustine, I mean, he's a rookie to IndyCar. He's not a rookie to racing. Do you really see a favorite or do you see nothing but opportunity? Because all I see is opportunity. And as opposed to maybe a couple of years past, the last few years past, Finding somebody who's really dominant in this field doesn't exist. Well, the the one thing that you have to remember, Tony, is the last, I think the last decade or so, the winner of the Indianapolis 500 has not come from a position further back than eighth, I believe. Someone may have to double check me on that. But bottom line is this, the winner of the Indianapolis 500 has not come from outside the top 10 in quite a long time. That being said, though, Tony, again, this is the tightest field that we've ever, that we've seen in a long time, the fastest field that we've seen in a long time. And and Joseph Newgarden, for example, who is right there in the row ahead of Elio Castroneves, he was fastest in the open test back in April. Now, he struggled to have some speed a little bit later on in practice as other teams have started to find that speed. But that that being said, there there is a lot of talent in this field this year, a lot of potential winners. So if there's any one particular favorite, I don't think you can have any one particular favorite other than maybe Alex Pillow, Pato Award, or any, or maybe even Scott Dixon as well in the in those front couple of rows. But as you go further back, you know, Elio Castroneves, he's there with that Meyer Shank Racing Squad. They've been struggling to find some speed in traffic or this so far this year, but they ha- they always have a solid chance as well. But, you know, it... Any any one of these drivers has a has a legitimate chance of it, probably twentieth or up. But it's just a, again, it all comes down to strategy and executing. In this in these weather conditions, is the strategy about how long you can extend the fuel out? Does this lack of heat, if you will, lack of um, of humidity, does it allow you to get a cup uh, a another lap around does it allow you to stretch the fuel out when you think you're too low you could still get a little bit further or is it just the opposite does this weather make you take more fuel more often well it again it 
as far as the weather is concerned, yeah, the, the weather sometimes plays a fact on fuel mileage, but the fuel mileage discussion really actually comes down to the difference between Chevy and Honda. Honda is traditionally more fuel efficient. Chevy traditionally has more power. So now that comes down to the whole discussion. Okay, what do you do? Do you save or do you go? And but that but still you you have a fixed amount of pit stops no matter what. But it's a matter of when you take those pit stops, how quickly you can get out, and whether you can execute a good overcut or an undercut in this particular case. And so execution of a perfect strategy by your crew as well as the driver to manage tires as well as fuel plays into it all. But as far as weather is concerned, I don't think that'll play too much into the fuel strategy for the race. Then I will not think about the weather. Kurt Darling from the 93.1 FM WIBC Newsroom, I appreciate you taking the time. Now, as I have said before, when it comes to the Indianapolis 500, everything is better with bump day. Not being a lifelong Hoosier and not having seen it until the last few years, allow me to say it again, everything is better with Bump Day. Doug Bowles is the president of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. He joins us right now. You'll see him on race day. He's the guy in the suit and the tie. And and while everything has been Graham Rahal-centric, uh, let's, let's take a, a different look. Uh, talk to me about, as people get to the track this year, what is different now that Roger Penske has had his chance to really put his thumbprint on the track that he purchased a couple years back? COVID is all over. What will people see this year that they haven't seen in years past? Well, I think a lot of the things that they'll see, you know, we did in 2020 when we, when we didn't have anybody here, so Roger said, let's just work, get some things done. The new stuff this year, a couple new video boards, Uh, There's some new asphalt that's actually, um, if you sit in turn one, you'll notice it when you're going to turn one, makes it easier to get in and out. New spectator mound for those GA customers who bring their 15 and under kids for free. That's inside Oval Turn 4, which will be fantastic, I think. Um, And then our TV compound actually moved outside the racetrack, so our midway has moved uh, internally uh, so that it's a little bit more accessible to folks. So I think those are the the things I'll see. The biggest thing I think everybody's going to notice is, just the crowd, again, is going to be an outstanding crowd, probably bigger than last year. And last year's crowd, in fact, I know bigger than last year. Um, and last year's crowd was the best crowd we've had since 2016. And beyond that, the best crowd we've had in the last 25 years. So we're going to see a crowd that rivals the 100th running? No, no, no. We're going to see a crowd that rivals last year. We're still going to be, I'm guessing we're still going to be, you know, ten or 15,000 below where we were on uh, in 2016, but we're getting really close to that, to, to having that kind of capacity or those kind of numbers here in the facility again. And that's really just a tribute to how much the fans have just re-embraced the Indy 500. It's pretty amazing. Before we get into some aspects of the race, one of the other things that we're seeing is some enhanced security, you know, being there over the past couple of days. The metal detectors are out and from every conversation, man, they will, if you've got a paper clip they're going to pick it up you know actually they're they're really fantastic in terms of you can walk through with a cooler and it knows that it'll know that the difference between your your miller light versus um something that you shouldn't have so we've been really working with the group uh, called open gate that's really helping us do that so you can keep everything in your pocket walk right through and it'll let things go that should be here but if you try and get in with something you shouldn't have it's pretty good about detecting those Talking to Doug Bowles, president of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Now let's get into race day. Let's get into this weekend. First, you have been blessed with perfect weather. And in my nine years here and eight years covering uh, the race, the first time I've ever been able to say perfect weather all weekend long. We've got Carb Day. We've got Legends Day. When do these activities start on Friday? 
So Legends or Car Bays, you know, obviously Friday is going to be awesome when we get cars on track at, uh, from 11 to 1 and the pit stop competition and music starting at 4. And you're right, I can't remember in my 13 years here at the Speedway, a month of May, where we've had such a great weather forecast so, for so far out. So that's going to be fantastic. But on track at 11, I just encourage everybody to get here early. It just, they're only on for, uh, the Indy cars are only on track for two hours. So you want to be here for that. And then pit stop competition will be good this year. And then, uh, Brian Adams concert uh, should be an awful lot of fun, especially in this beautiful weather. On race day itself, of course, much has been made of Graham Rahal bumped with Rahal Letterman Lanigan racing and then the injury to, to Stefan Wilson and coming in, being part of, of that team now at Dreyer and Reinbold. The sponsors moving over. Two things, Doug. First, is there an update on Stefan Wilson's uh, condition? And then secondly, can you walk us through what it takes to get these sponsors to come together to recognize that the good of the race is the good for everybody, even if it wasn't how you intended it to be. So on Stefan's side, I think obviously he's going to have to deal with the, with the fracture that he has. And um, the hope was uh, last that I heard is he's still hopeful that he can get out here on Sunday and at least say hello to the crowd, which we're really hope you know, we're really looking forward to. I've seen some of the posts that he's, he's made and he's uh, certainly in good spirits, disappointed, obviously. The biggest challenge, I think, for getting Graham Rahal in Stefan Wilson's car was really less about sponsors, although that was a challenge, but more about the, the engine manufacturers. Honda and Chevy keep, compete so fiercely with each other. They don't, wanna, they don't want any, uh, anybody to know the, the difference in the mapping that they have, the way that they, the way that they run their fuel saving, all the different things that they do to try and get that competitive edge. For, so for Chevy and Honda – to both agree that a Honda driver could drive a Chevy in the Indy 500 is is a, a miracle. And it really does say how important this race is to everybody that those two engine manufacturers could put their big differences and their competition aside and say, this is the, this is the best thing for the sport. Let's get Graham Rahal in this car. When you talk to the fans uh, about this, do they recognize how – how almost criminally insane it all is, how this is not something that, that is normal. And is this a sign of the times? If this had happened, uh, I mean, I don't want to get into the to, to the cart days, but picture uh, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, pick your, pick your time frame. Could something like this have happened between Honda and Chevy? Well, I, you know, I, so there was a period of time, you know, Honda and Chevy have always sort of competed on the on the IndyCar platform. Back in the split days when they had a, you know, had a single engine manufacturer, it been more about the sponsors and the teams. So, but but definitely, I think it's a challenge to get people to to work through all the differences that they have. So it is a, it is a big deal, and I think the great thing about it. I mean, you talked a, a little bit about the drama of Bump Day. I mean, we had the perfect bump day with Jack Harvey at the very last minute bumping out somebody to get in the race and then having it be Graham Rahal, knowing how important this race is to Graham and to his family. And then 30 years from the time that his dad got bumped from the from the field, that storyline was incredible. And then to to see it come full circle and Graham getting a chance to run the Indy 500, it's one of those magical Magical stories um, that sort of comes up with you know during the month of May and around the Indy 500. See, Doug Bowles is such a gentleman. He didn't say to me, Tony, you forgot there was only a single engine in the day. You, your your comparison did not work. See, see that takes a gentleman right there not to call me out direct. I had to call myself out, Doug Bowles. <laughs> That's that's how honest we are on this show. Doug Bowles, president of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Um, 
are in in the end uh race day is going uh, to to come uh you expect a very very full uh speedway indeed uh you're not a predictions guy because i don't think you can be a predictions guy you got some family in this thing you know there's there's only so much y- you you can say uh but is there anybody up until this this point has surprised you up or down doing far better than you assumed or you're really kind of fascinated by the struggles they're having well, you know, you're right. I do have family, so my stepson Connor Daly's in it. So if you ask me, who do you want to win the Indy 500? The stepdad in me obviously is is rooting for Connor. But as the as the president of the Speedway, I think you're right. There's some really cool storylines. The, the Aero McLaren team has been strong all month. Pato Award is maybe maybe the one in my mind. If you said you have to pick one, that I might pick that that feels really strong. The two AJ Foyt cars, the way that they qualified. It'll be interesting to see if they can race like they qualified, but that was a surprise, I think, for a lot of folks to see um, Peterson and Ferrucci so fast. Alex Pelot, uh, you know, almost won the race w- when he was competing against uh, Elio Castroneves in 21. And last year when Scott Dixon had his speeding penalty, uh, you know, with Pelot in sort of the same car, he could be really hard to deal with uh, on race day. So there's there's quite a few of them. And it'll be interesting to see what Graham Ray Hall can do in Stefan Wilson's car. Obviously, Graham's car wasn't fast enough to get in the 500, but Stefan's car has been pretty good. So I think it'll be fun to watch Graham from last. And Nobody's ever won from last place, so it'll be interesting to see how that works out. Doug Bowles, president of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I appreciate taking the time to be with us. There is more to get to. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. What can I say? I'm excited about the race. It's a good time. I mean, it's an Indiana thing, and come on. We're all going to go. We're all going to have a great time. It's all going to be fantastic. I hope to see you out there. Be sure to wave and say hello. Uh, I'm also excited that it's Memorial Day, soon to be Father's Day, and my new book, Let's Go Barbecue, is officially out and for sale at Amazon.com. Recipes, tips, and tales from the pit. Let's Go Barbecue. The first one was Let's Go Bourbon. Now it's Let's Go Barbecue, presented by Eat, Drink, Smoke, my cigar and bourbon show. It's available at Amazon.com. May I advise you buy all the copies? Do it now, faster. Let's go barbecue at Amazon.com. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz.